Good morning. Welcome to Lighthouse Bible Church and happy daylight savings time. I see you're all here, which means you got the you got the message to get up this morning. Uh, looks like we lost an hour somewhere. I don't know where, but probably we'll find it in November, right? So Pastor John and Roberta are up at West Point Academy um, visiting their son Jack, who is. <laughs> That's all right. <laughs> their son Jack uh, is uh, they're learning how to be a U.S. Army officer. And they were, uh, Pastor John and Roberta are up there also. We're, I think Hannah might be there as well, so we're not going to have song service today because two-thirds of our team is missing in action, right? But one-third is here, Joyce. <laughs> okay, let's open in prayer. Father, thank you all for the many blessings you have provided for us, most importantly for sending your only Son, Jesus Christ, to the cross to pay for the sins of all mankind and provide the gift of eternal life to those who simply believe and trust in Jesus. We pray for blessings on Lighthouse Bible Church, our congregation and families, and also for safe travels for Pastor John and his family. Please bless all of us today and prepare our minds and hearts as we seek to learn more about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. So, um, I usually say thank you, singers, but thank you, singers, for last week. <laughs> uh, there's a guest book in the lobby if you would like to put your name in there, and uh, this way we could contact you if uh, anything changes about the service. Um, also, um, a prayer book, a, a prayer, uh, prayer box, and a prayer request forms um, if you would like us to pray for you on our uh, Wednesday night informal Bible study and prayer group. Uh, and raise your hand if you don't have a Bible and would like one, and uh, Jack will bring you one. Okay. As you know, each month we feature a different missionary organization, which we pray for, and the church sends funds to a different one every month. Um, and we encourage you to do, th- do this also in any way that you feel able. This month it's Grace Bible Pakistan, the ministry of Faisal and Carrie John. Um, their ministry exists to serve a group of Christians in Pakistan. They sponsor a school for poor children, an orphanage, and uh, distribute printed material in the local Urdu language. Please pray for this important ministry and support it as the Lord leads. You can donate here by making a check to GBC Pakistan and put it in the offering box uh, or go on their website at www.gbcpakistan.org. Okay. Not used to this too much. I haven't done it in a while. But anyway, um, today's lesson. Therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, that's 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 1, opening line, and today we're going to look at 1 Peter chapter 4 and 5, the last two chapters in the book of 1 Peter. So, um, and 
We're going to look at the last two chapters of First Peter and see some additional wisdom God has for us through his revelation to Peter. As you may remember, First Peter began by showing us the perfect inheritance that we, as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, have reserved for us in heaven. We learned that because of God's great mercy and love, he caused us to be born again to a living hope through, his, through the resurrection of Christ and protects us by his power until the, our time to receive the inheritance, beginning at the rapture. I love this description of First Peter verses, uh, chapter 1, verses 1 through 9, and I'm just going to read it again so it'll kind of refresh everyone's memories. So if you want to go to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1, and we'll read the first nine verses there. Um, Okay, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. Also, uh, we're going to be in chapter 4 and 5 a lot, so if you want to hold your place there when we flip around to different places. I'll try to give you more time today. Everyone always tells me I'm too fast. (laughs) with the flip in the pages. Okay, anyway, 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, by sanctifying work of the Spirit, to obey Jesus Christ, and be sprinkled with his blood. May grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure. Blessed be God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, even though for now, for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor, at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with a joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. In later chapters 2 and 3, we learned about longing for God's word, putting aside the old fleshly ways, being submissive and humble to authority, proper treatment of our spouses, among other things. As we continue through the last two chapters of Peter's first epistle, we see a similar thread of the believer's life changes, brought about by our Savior's sacrifice for all men. So why do I say all men? Because that's what the scripture says in 1 Timothy chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. And if you want to go there to 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, 
Uh, I've got some of the verses up there, but not all of them, so I'll give you time. Everything right? Good? You're all there? Okay. <laughs> First Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. First of all, then, I urge that entreaties and prayers, petitions and thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men, for kings and all who are in authority, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of truth. For there is one God and one mediator also between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, testimony given at the proper time. So that doesn't necessarily mean that all are saved. It means that Christ died for all. And the ones who are saved are the ones who accept that and believe in him. And also in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 1, and you don't have to turn there because that's up on the board. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he himself is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but for those of the whole world. So we see by this that Christ died for all, and to claim this free gift of salvation and eternal life with God, it is only necessary to believe that Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, suffered and died for our sins, and was resurrected from the dead, and placing our faith in him as God and Savior. By this faith, we receive eternal life and eternal security. We've recently been studying eternal security in our Thursday night Bible study with Pastor John. So now we're going to begin looking at 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 1. So like I said, um, turn to 1 Peter 4, 1 and uh, hold your place there because we're going to be coming back there throughout the uh, morning here. So 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same purpose, because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. The readers of this letter are exhorted that as Christ's death put an end to his suffering for the sins of the world, they who have suffered from fleshly pursuits should arm themselves with the same purpose, to be dead to sin as Christ was. This does not mean that Christ ceased from sin because he never sinned. But he did suffer on account of sin and his life of suffering for sin ceased at his physical death on the cross. So how can we be dead to sin? Well, by trusting in Christ and to live the rest of the time in the body for the will of God and not for the lusts of the flesh. 
And this is reference in uh, Romans chapter 6, verse uh, 6 and 7. And the messages up, the verses are up on the screen there. So in Romans chapter 6, verse 6, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from, freed from sin. So, dead. Well, the dead here refers to being dead to sin, which comes from Romans 6.11. Even so, Sorry, flipping ahead too quick. Uh, Even so, consider yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God and Christ Jesus. So here the contrast is made that to be dead to sin is to be alive to God and Christ Jesus. Those who have come to faith in Jesus no longer have to allow sin to control their lives, Instead, we offer ourselves to God to serve his purposes. And Paul expands on this concept in Romans 12.1, which again, the verses are up on the screen. Um, figure I'll save your fingers by putting all these verses up there. Um, Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, Acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. So this is a good summation of the Christian life as we're dead to sin and alive to God. The emphasis here is on living a different life as a result of God's salvation. We no longer follow the pattern of the world, but live according to God's will. So, um, can we really do this? How can we do this? It's, uh, it's got to be with God's help. So, to be dead to sin does not mean we are sinless. Paul made it clear that he continued to struggle with temptation and sin in Romans 19, or I'm sorry, Romans 7, 19 through 20. Romans 7, 19. For the good that I want, I do not do, but I practice the very evil that I do not want. But if I am doing the very thing I do not want, I am no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. So if Paul could call himself the foremost of sinners, which he did in 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 15, then we should certainly expect to continue our conflict with sin until we reach heaven. And 1 Timothy chapter 1 verse 15 is up there. It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am foremost of all. And that was in 1 Timothy, which is written by Paul. So this is a lot to think about. So to be dead to sin means we no longer 
need to be controlled by our sin nature. Romans 6.17 teaches that. Romans 6.17 says, and Paul wrote Romans as well, as you know, Romans 6.17 says, But thanks be to God that though you were slaves to sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed. And having been freed from sin, you become slaves of righteousness. I am speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification. So basically what all this kind of says, sorry, I didn't flip that, I'm sorry. Here's Romans 6.19, but I read it. Um, Anyway, before Christ, we were slaves to sin, and now we have a new master, which is Christ. Sin continues to exist, but we're no longer dominated by it. As Christians, we have God's spirit within us to empower us. However, we still face temptation and must guard against sin with God's help. We can live dead to sin as we follow Christ, knowing that our Lord will one day remove the curse of sin forever. In Revelation chapter 22 and verse 3, which I'm not going to go there now. Um, So um, what does that mean? We're still going to sin. Well, once people place their faith in Jesus Christ, they have eternal life and they're saved. And sometimes they may, may sin. But if they had a life of continual sin, living in sin before, God will help them, give them the power to get out of that and live according to his word. Not 100% every time, but he, it's a process of progressive sanctification of our bodies. So, going to... Ephesians chapter 6, and uh, I think, um, yeah, I think all the verses are up there, but you can go there if you want. Ephesians chapter 6, we're going to be in verse 11 and following. Okay, Ephesians chapter 6, 11. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. So what is this armor of God and where do we purchase it? (laughs) Um, Well, we can't really purchase it, but the armor of God is this. Ephesians 6.14 Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet 
with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Oh, sorry. (laughs) So this armor has been described by some Bible scholars as analogous to um, items of battle armor worn by Roman soldiers, including the, the belt of truth, which is God's truth as written in the scripture, the breastplate of righteousness, and I'm going to show you guys a picture of what this Roman soldier looked, looked like, the breastplate of righteousness that believers receive positionally at salvation. So at salvation, we receive the righteousness of God once we place our faith in Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. The boots of the gospel of peace through Christ, the shield of faith in Christ and his promises, the helmet of salvation, which is eternal life and protection by our Lord, and the sword of the Spirit, knowledge of God's word. These are the armor of God and can't be purchased but are given freely by God through his grace to believers as a tool to fight the battle against the forces of evil. So there's the, um, there's the Roman soldier with his helmet of salvation and shield of faith, breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, and sword of the spirit, and the boots of um, the gospel. So turn back now to 1 Peter chapter 1. I'm sorry, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 3. Okay, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 3. For the time already past is sufficient for you to have carried out the desire of the Gentiles, having pursued a course of sensuality, lusts, Drunkenness, carousing, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. In all this, they are surprised that you do not run with them into the same excesses of dissipation, and they malign you. But they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and dead. For the gospel has for this purpose been preached, even to those who are dead, that though they are judged in the flesh as men, they may live in the spirit according to the will of God. So verse 6 is a little bit difficult to understand its meaning. And I looked at several commentaries of Bible scholars and different writers and found conflicting opinions all over the map, some of which were mostly impossible to believe. But I believe that... uh, The meaning of that is that the gospel is preached to those who are dead spiritually, which is unbelievers, so that they will be able to accept it if they so choose. If they believe the gospel, 
of Jesus Christ, and therefore they can live in the Spirit according to God's will. Uh, Romans 12 and verse 1 puts it this way, and the verses are up there on the, on the screen, so you don't have to turn there, but Romans 12:1, Paul writes, Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. So let's go back to uh, 1 Peter chapter 4. The end of all things is clear, I mean, is near. Therefore, be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another, for love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaint. As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength of which God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. So, um, this is actually very close to what we've been studying with Pastor John in 1 Corinthians, using the gifts, the spiritual gifts that God gives each one of us to, so that the Father may be glorified. And anyway, in verses... 7 through 11, Peter's repeating and rephrasing the message from chapter 3, exhorting these mostly Jewish believers to use sound judgment and be sober in spirit for prayer. Continuing, he repeats the theme from chapter 3 to practice love for the brethren and with hospitality and use our gifts as from the Lord so that God the Father may be glorified through Jesus Christ. So these also provide additional emphasis on what we've been studying with Pastor John in 1 Corinthians on the use of the spiritual gifts in love for building up the members of the body of Christ. Continuing on in verse 12, Peter explains that believers may be called to endure suffering for Christ. So, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12, we'll continue to read this book in this chapter. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so that also at the revelation of his glory, you may rejoice with exultation. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and 
God rests on you. Make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer or thief or evildoer or troublesome meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, he is not to be ashamed, but is to glorify God in this name. For it is time for judgment to begin with the household of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is with difficulty that the righteous is saved, what will become of the godless man and the sinner? Therefore, those also who suffer according to the will of God shall entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. So Peter tells us here that some suffering can be testing our faith, and we should rejoice in it, as when we are reviled for the name of Christ, we are blessed and will rejoice with exultation at the revelation of his glory when he comes back at the rapture. Blessing and rewards for the believer are realized at the judgment seat of Christ, also known as the Bema Seat. This is when Christians receive large or small rewards based on how they live their Christian life. And this happens right after the rapture for believers only, which is what Peter was talking about back there when he said, um, uh, where is it? Oh, for if the time of judgment is to begin with the household of God, that is the the Bema Seat Judgment, as opposed to the Last Judgment, which comes at the end of the millennium. Okay. So, Peter also warns us not to suffer for doing wrong, and that since the judgment of believers comes first, we should be trusting in God and obedient to do what is right during our life. So suffering can be for testing of our faith, and it also can be discipline or caused by our own bad decisions. And uh, I don't know about you, but I made some bad decisions in my life at some time. And uh, lots of times I suffered for them. Sometimes, sometimes I didn't because God bailed me out. So, uh, anyway, he's telling you not to suffer for doing bad things. All right, moving on to 1 Peter chapter 5. First Peter chapter 5 and verse 1. Therefore, I exult... I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily according to the will of God, and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness, nor yet as lording it over those who... Those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. 
And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Younger men, likewise, Got ahead of myself. <laughs> you younger men, likewise, subject, be subject to your elders, and all of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So Peter's message here is to elders and pastors, um, and it's similar to his previous chapter's message, except it's specifically directed at those in authority in the church. They are told to shepherd the flock with care and integrity and not as bosses or tyrants, but setting good examples. And uh, chapter 5 and verse 6, Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. So in verse 5 and 6, these elders are told to remain humble, casting their worries on the Lord so that they may be exalted at the proper time. This means not exalting themselves, as we see some of these TV pastors do, but not exalting themselves, but trusting the Lord to do it in his timing, which may be as far away as the judgment seat of Christ. I mean, it could be sooner. It could be later, but it will definitely be at the judgment seat of Christ. In verse 5, Peter adds the younger men to this message, telling them also to be humble and subject to their elders. So pastors and elders are not gods and are not to be treated as such or put on a pedestal, They are, however, to be respected and supported as ones who rule according to God's instruction are worthy of a double double honor. And that's uh, 1 Timothy 5.17, which I think we're going to see here in the next slide. Yeah. 1 Timothy 5, verses 17 and 18. The elders who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing, and the laborer is worthy of his wages. So that's uh, telling us that we should be supporting our pastors, Pastor John, that is, not me. I'm not a pastor. Moving to verse 8 in uh, chapter 5 of 1 Peter. We'll continue there. Be sober of, be of sober spirit. <clears throat> be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. But resist him, firm in your faith. I didn't put that up there. 
Oh, that's First Peter. Resist him, sorry. Resist him firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. After you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. Well, verses 8 through 11 exhorts these elders and younger men to be sober in spirit and resist their adversary, which is Satan and the demons. As we studied earlier in Ephesians six eleven through 17, they, along with all believers, can resist evil by putting on the armor of God and remembering that others have and are suffering for Christ. After suffering for a time, God will perfect, confirm, and establish you in glory for his glory. And finally, in verse 12, Through Silvanus, our faithful brother, for so I regard him, I have written to you briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends your greetings, sends you greetings, and so does my son Mark. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace be to you all who are in Christ. So these last three verses seem to be just a closing with a mention of Paul's associate and helper, Silvanus, <clears throat> and a reference which is kind of unclear to someone who, who's in Babylon. Um, Peter finishes up with the message of love and blessing and peace to all believers. Okay, for um, a summary of what we were, I know I went through it fast and we covered a lot of different commands and and stories that Peter uh, was telling us, but, um, you know, I only have one day to do this, so... That's today. <laughs> had to go. Had to go through a lot of information. Anyway, summarizing. Um, Therefore, which was the beginning of verse one, is referring to the message in chapter three, verses eighteen through twenty-two, which describes Christ's suffering for the sins of man. And since Christ death and resurrection paid the penalty for sin, believers can be dead to sin with God's help, of course, and live for God's will rather than for the lusts of the flesh. Being dead to sin does not mean we are sinless, but that we are not guided by sin, but by God's word through the Holy Spirit. Before we believed, we were slaves to sin, but now we are freed from being dominated by the flesh. We can use the armor of God in Ephesians 6 to battle the forces of evil. Well, that armor of God deal is like, that could be a whole study in itself for, you know, probably days or weeks because it's it's such a cool thing in chapter 
6 of Ephesians. So we can use the armor of God to battle the forces of evil. And we may be called to suffer for Christ, which can result in blessing at the judgment seat of Christ. But it doesn't feel like blessing when it's happening, as you probably all know. In chapter 5, he was telling pastors and elders, commanding them to shepherd the flock with eagerness and humility, trusting God for their blessings in God's timing and not their own. And the younger men in the church are told to be subject to the elders and humble in spirit. And all are told to be sober of spirit and be alert to satanic influences, trusting that God will perfect us at the proper time. So I guess uh, we can think about using all that... uh, all that armor of God, um, especially the helmet of salvation, and studying our God's word through the Bible, which is the sword of the Spirit, so, and using the shield of faith to guide against anything that uh, wants to make us suffer. Oh, okay. Well, that's the end of that message. Um, Afterwards, if anybody has any questions, you can ask me. I don't know if I'll know the answer, but I'll give it a shot. So as we close today, our service, if anyone has not believed in Christ as your personal Savior, now is the time to make that decision. We know that we cannot earn or deserve salvation or eternal life, as Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 tells us, For it is by grace you are saved through faith, and not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, and not of works, so that no one can boast. Couldn't be more clear than that. And in John 11, 25 and 26, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? And finally in John 3.16, the verse we all know so well, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. So God has made salvation so simple that all you have to do is close your eyes and tell God that I believe Jesus died on the cross to save me from my sins and was resurrected by God and trust in him as my Lord and Savior. So Lighthouse Bible Church is a grace ministry and supported by gifts from believers who desire to support the teaching of God's word. We don't ask for pledges of money, and we don't pass the plate, but our ministry does have needs. The needs of salary for the pastor, building expenses, utilities, and missionary support. So keep that in your thoughts and prayers. 
And if God puts it on your heart to help support this ministry, there's a box in the back. You can simply mail a check or donate online. And I want to remind everyone also that we now have a youth group on Wednesday evenings at 630, um, headed by Dakota. Is he here? I don't see Dakota. But anyway, he's here? Okay. Um, Headed by Dakota. And uh, so anybody who has kids that are interested in that, we are inviting them to come on Wednesday night. And also, also, I think I did mention we have... uh, um, Bible study and prayer group on Thursday evenings at 7 o'clock. It's an informal Bible study moderated by Pastor John. So let's close in prayer. Father, thank you for allowing us to worship you and study your word today. And we ask that you bless us with your loving grace and answer our prayers as we leave today. Help us to keep the confidence in the blessings we have in Christ at the forefront of our mind when we are experiencing the struggles and disappointments that life can bring. In the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Thank you all for coming today. Have a great week.